Welcome to the Multifamily Mavericks Podcast, hosted by Josiah Smelser and Megan Greathouse. This is your one-stop shop for building and growing your multifamily business. Join us on a weekly basis as we crack the code to multifamily investing and scale up to financial freedom. And now your hosts, Josiah and Megan. What's up, Multifamily Maverick Nation? We're pumped to be back with another episode of mind-blowing, earth-shattering, multifamily magic. I'm Josiah Spilser, and I'm here with my magically talented, amazing, military-minded co-host, Megan. <laughs> What's going on, Megan? <laughs> I've got to get that one on a business card. <laughs> <laughs> you can't beat that intro, right? <laughs> that was great. Yeah. Thank you. I am good, obviously, based on that intro. Yes. Um, yeah, doing pretty well. I'm actually, it's funny, I've been going after this 24 unit. It's a pocket listing from a broker. And uh, the seller's just been kind of uh, back and forth on when I can get in and does he even want to let me go see it? And okay, you can see it, but but now I'm busy this week. So, so maybe next week. So I'm just waiting to nail down a time to go and see that thing. Yeah. It's a great area. It's a 24 unit, which is where I want to go next, something in that size. Um, and I know the neighborhood well. I just need to get in and see it. So that's yeah. kind of what's preoccupying me this week. How about you, Josiah? Yeah, I've been going after these multifamily deals hardcore. I've got one that's around 50 units that the seller said they're interested in selling. Uh, and then when we called them back, they hung up on us. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know how interested they truly are, but... Um, and then we've got another one that is, I think, around 120 units, 120 doors. And the seller quoted us a price initially when we first um, made contact with them. We went, I actually went out and toured the property, spent hours with this um, owner, and we ran our numbers and re-ran our numbers and ran our numbers by... Um, you know, our mentor and and came up with our offer price, called the guy up, told him what we could pay, and he doubled the price on us. So, oh man. Wow. So, yeah. So, that one's not going to work out. Um, I think he just decided between the initial um, quote and the time that we were able to come up with what we could pay, which was pretty close to what he was asking, that he wanted to keep the property and was only willing to let it go for much more. So, I mean, that's the nature that's of the beast right bad. now, right? Yeah, I mean, we're in a yeah. we're in a seller's market. Um, you know, this is this is a difficult time to find multifamily, but to me, that's a compelling reason to do this, right? So, for sure, definitely. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm super pumped about this episode uh, today. We've got David Tupin on the podcast, and David David's company is Obsidian Capital. David lives in Austin, Texas. He's in his early 20s, and man, he has been crushing it with his multifamily progress. Like if you are needing motivation on how to get, get your rear in gear and start making some traction, like listen to David and what he did. And I think you could pretty much follow the roadmap that he's, that he's left here and, and it would get you, it would take you, um, take you where you want to go. So like Megan, what, what were your thoughts? You know, I love how he got into multifamily pretty early on in a big way, but it's not because he had a ton of money or a bunch of experience or some long corporate history with a bunch of connections who could help him. It's because he kind of melded this scrappy, do what I can um, with what I've got attitude with big goals. So I don't think it has to be one or the other, but I do think that people think that way a lot. Either I've got to be 
scrappy and just kind of get the small deals and get as many as I can, or I go really big and I go big on everything. He found a really awesome middle of the road. He started with some 12 units, so nothing too crazy, but bigger than single family. And he built really quickly from there because he figured it out. He kept learning. He kept growing. He kept networking. And it's incredible what he's doing now. I mean, he's almost a decade younger than I am, and he is where I want to be a few years from now. So it's pretty impressive. Yeah. And you just hit on this, but one thing I really loved about his story was he started small and just started scaling up. So, and I don't I don't think that's necessarily what everyone has to do, right? If you can find a 100 unit deal your first time out and you can make the numbers work and get the money together and put the whole thing in place, go for it. You know what I mean? But I really like that part of his story because to me there's the magic happens when you start getting some momentum going and you can get momentum from small wins like a 10 unit, a 20 unit deal, you know, even a duplex. You start, you know, you get a single family, get a duplex get an eight unit, get a 20 unit, you know, like you're getting some momentum and traction. Whereas if you wait for these huge deals and you you could end up spinning your wheels. So I really like that piece of his story. And he's also got some other projects he's working on a software company um, that are really cool things that I think the the listeners are going to really enjoy. But um, yeah, so without chit chatting on this more, let's dive into this episode. Man, I'm super pumped today to have David Tupin on the show with us. David has been making an unbelievable amount of progress in multifamily investing. And when I started my podcast, The Daily Real Estate Investor, uh, he was one of the first people I started following on Instagram. It's been really fun to watch this whole thing evolve for him. Uh, David's a rel- relatively speaking, a young guy, and he's made more progress than some of these folks that are a lot older than him. So it's always like super interesting to dig into these stories where we've got someone that is kind of a a rising star, you know, doing something very right to be getting the momentum that he's gotten. So I was super excited to to get in touch with him and be able to get him on the show. And he's got some other cool stuff going on. He's working on a new software project that I think is going to really also go places but I'm just excited for David to come and come on the show and and share his story. And yeah, David, welcome, man. Yeah, thanks, man. It's been great, you know, seeing each other on social media and then connecting over the phone a couple of times in the past few weeks. And now we're on the show. So thanks for having me. Yeah, man, absolutely. So um, tell us where you're located. And I guess as, as just a kind of an intro, where you're located, what you currently own and that kind of thing. Yeah, so uh, company's based in Austin, Texas. Uh, currently own a few hundred apartments. I've bought uh, a little over 900 apartments in the past four years. And uh, I've sold a lot and the market's been good. So we've been selling. Um, but uh, that's kind of my main business. I, I buy existing value-add apartments. Um, I also build. I've got 50 apartments that we're breaking ground on in the next two weeks. Very Sweet. excited about that. Uh, and uh, that's pretty much all I do. I live, eat, breathe, sleep apartments. That's awesome. So like, I, I remember looking at your, I think it was your Instagram profile or your website and I, your company is is called Obsidian Capital. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yep, and are you running that by yourself or are you partnered up with somebody on that or how do you have that structured? Yeah, I have a business partner. His name's Glenn. So okay, we both cool. run the company and there's four of us total. Yeah. Nice. Okay. And and I, I believe I remember seeing this, but what what was your 
I, I guess, how did you get into real estate? What were you doing before this? And kind of what was your path into this? Because that's always interesting. And, and by the way, how old are you? I'm 24 right now. 24, you said 900 doors? 24. 900 doors. Yeah. It's wild. I'm 25 in a week. So 25 in a wow. week. Awesome. I'm man. getting, I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's you just, uh, you looked younger than you were, but no, you really are. I really am. <laughs> You've yeah. done this really early. That's oh, I incredible. still do look younger than I am. I'm probably look like I'm 21, but that, <laughs> that, that, that sure wasn't easy when I got started when I was 19. I probably looked like I was 15, but Man, they still card wow. me when I go try uh, try to buy beer or something. They still they still card me, so I'm sure they're doing yeah. the same to you because you look younger than I do. I'll get carded for the rest of my life. It's it'll, okay, it'll work out. It'll work out for you when you're like 80, though. You know, yeah, so, yeah. I'll look young uh, when I'm 80. Yeah, That's exactly. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So, so how did you? What were you doing before you got into real estate? So uh, I started. I think I started the way a lot of people start. You know, li- listening to stuff like what you're doing right now. Uh, I listened to Bigger Pockets podcast. I got introduced when I was doing, um, in, in college, I did some internships in consulting and investment banking and, uh, you know, thought I was, you know, I wanted to do real estate. That's something I'd always wanted to do. I've always been an entrepreneur since I was 13. I started my first business when I was 13, landscaping company. Awesome. Grew that and sold it off into high school. Got into college, thought I had to get a high paying job <laughs> to be able to go invest in real estate. You know, there's all these limiting beliefs that you have. So it's like, okay, I want to buy real estate. I need money. Another limiting belief, but you know, I thought I needed money. So let's go get a high paying job. So I did these internships. I got some job offers, but I'd been listening to bigger pockets and reading books and I, you know, been writing goals down and, and I wanted to buy apartments. Um, uh, but I didn't exactly know how to do it at first. So, um, I ended up turning all my job offers down on like the last day of that internship. Um, I had like a six-figure job offer. I turned it down on the spot to go into real estate. Mm. Like no guarantee of anything. I'd never done a deal yet. I got my license so that I could wholesale. Um, but, uh, you know, I didn't really want to be an agent or anything. So I basically started wholesaling. I found a mentor locally. I worked with him. I, he, he was doing tons of flips. So he basically like hired me to find, I would find deals for him, cold call. And then he would flip it. I'd get a fee. So I did a couple of those made a little bit of money. Um, but really what I wanted to do is apartments. So I cut all that off completely. And I said, I'm not doing anything else until I buy my first apartment deal. Like I'm going to hundred percent focus in on that. And that's what I did. Um, and so I bought my first apartment building as a 12 unit complex, uh, in early 2017. That's amazing. And so tell us a little bit then David about, you said you started when you were around 19. Obviously, this is a kind of a relationship game. And especially when you're in the apartment space, sellers are looking for someone who's got a little bit of experience. How did you kind of break through being someone who is so young and didn't have any of that going just yet? Yeah. Yeah. The typical follow-up question when I share my story with a lot of people is, well, how much did your dad invest with you? Um, <laughs> and, you know, or how much did your family invest with you? Uh, the answer is, would be zero. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think the hardest part was not having the relationships. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't have the network at, at first. I built it. Um, but, I, you know, I didn't have those investors and the broker relationships. And I didn't have a track record or any... I didn't have any experience, you know, so it, it was kind of difficult. Um, I think, I think what really helped me was I really wanted to be a master 
at apartments. I wanted to be an expert. And so I spent a ton of time educating myself, uh, reaching out to people who were very successful in my market. You know, I'd met, I ended up meeting a couple of people that owned a few hundred to a few thousand apartments locally. And there were people I could, you know, chat with or bounce questions off of, stuff like that. Um, and so, uh, and, and, and then really what helped me the most was I'm an analytical type of person. Um, you know, I'm a numbers guy. And so I had been uh, looking at a lot of apartment deals, talking to brokers and uh, running numbers on them. You know, I built a spreadsheet uh, a deal analyzer that basically I can uh, use to input, you know, assumptions and output uh, my return expectations. And so uh, th- what that did was really help me become familiar with the numbers, which helped me communicate with people. And so when I talk to a broker or a lender or an investor, I, you know, they are like, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about because I, I really knew the numbers. And so I think that was probably very helpful on my path is putting the time in to learn that side of things. And then I could, I could communicate with people in an educated way where they take, they would take me seriously. Um, I think that that's, yeah. yeah, that's huge because I think that there are so many people out there who say, you know, I, I don't know a lot about real estate or maybe they know a little bit about real estate, but multifamily is kind of a different animal. And so they just kind of go out and want to ask, ask a million questions of other people and try to kind of build these relationships by peppering people with questions. But what you did was you stopped and you found ways to educate yourself first without right constantly bugging other people and you were networking during all of this, Mm -hmm. but you were educating yourself and taking it upon yourself to figure that out, to understand the nitty gritty details that it takes to really, um, you know, know what you're talking about when you're talking to some of these people who are probably incredibly busy and they have people constantly trying to come at them. So, so I guess just to kind of questions. Uh, yes, you make a exactly. great point there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I guess just to follow up on that, was there anything else you did besides the educated questions to kind of actually catch the attention of some of these folks who were probably incredibly busy, but turned out they wanted to take some time with you because of how you prepared yourself? I wore a suit all the time. I used to wear a suit every day. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I thought I thought that would make me look a little older, a little more professional. I used to wear a suit every day. I don't I don't I don't anymore, especially down here in the heat. But uh um Honestly, no, I think, I think people noticed that I was um, really ambitious when I talked to them. And I think the time that I put in on my own, you know, my own time behind the scenes prepared me for when I communicated with somebody, let's say that owned 3000 apartments, who uh, was the guy that sponsored uh, my first big deals. The third deal I did, it was a hundred mm-hmm. units. And I, you know, obviously couldn't sign on that loan on my own. I didn't have money to put uh, down for the earnest money or anything. So uh, you know, he, he did that. Um, and he did it because he, he understood that I put my time in before and I didn't come to him with, uh, you know, how do I get started in multifamily? I came to him like, Hey, I got this deal. I had an offer accepted on this deal. Why don't you partner with me on it? Um, this is, these are the numbers. This is my plan. Like the rents are, you know, the rents are at 700 on average. The market's at 925. Like, you know, I came with an educated plan and then, you know, he took me very seriously. Yeah. Did you, how did you find that deal? So that one was interesting. That was my third deal. I, I sent a mailer mm. to a guy who owned a little over a billion dollars in real estate. Uh, <laughs> awesome. He's a player and he's 71 years old at the time. Um, he was in Miami, I think in his penthouse 
He, he was, he, he, you know, he lives in Michigan mainly, but he stays down in Miami. Uh, and so, uh, he, he called me, I sent him a piece of mail, uh, letter. I send a lot of people letters. I still do, uh, that say like, Hey, I see you own an apartment complex here. I'm interested in buying. Would you be willing to look at an offer from me? And for some reason it was good timing. And mm. this asset was something he built 40 years ago. Um, and mm. he was looking to sell it. And it was kind of mismanaged and he knew it. Um, it was his smallest and oldest property. It was built in 79 and it was mm. 96 units. The dude That's owned, awesome. Yeah, the dude owned like 4,000 units free and clear on his own. Whoa. Zero investors. Yeah, and that's just a piece of his portfolio. So That's amazing. Yeah. Did, did he, what, what was his business model? Did he develop everything he owned and just go about it that way? Or did he do value add stuff as well? I'm always curious about these guys who are, in his position that have done this, started doing this a long time ago and have all this stuff paid off. How did he build that? Do you know? Oh, dude, it, that great question. Because literally the first thing when he told me that on the phone, at first I didn't know how successful he was. And then I started after like, you know, two, three conversations, I started hearing a little bit more about how, how successful it was. I was like, oh my gosh, this guy's like legit. Why is yeah. he talking to me? You know, I'm nobody. <laughs> That's um, awesome. By the way, that part's <laughs> awesome as well. Like, yeah, I, I want to like, I mean, mm-hmm. we're all trying to get where he is, right? But how awesome mm-hmm. would it be to be in his situation and and still be talking to guys that are trying to get into this? Like that yeah. excites me as well, because the guy's obviously humble enough to still take phone calls and talk to somebody who's trying to get in, which is awesome. So, so he's a deal junkie, you know, he's like yeah. me. We're all, and, and, and so, you know, you get people like that and they're always just, you know, they're always trying to put deals together. They're always yeah. on the phone talking. Um, and, and it's funny you mentioned that because that was, that was what I did right when he told me that is I stopped the conversation about buying his apartment complex. And I was like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. how'd you do that? dude? Yeah. Like, how'd you do that? Man? I'm like, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. Like you're where I want to be. I was like, and that was probably the point where I told him i most people I didn't use, I didn't really tell my age because over the phone, most people wouldn't ask or wouldn't really know and until they met me in person, then they'd ask. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, so I, I think I told, I was like, I've only bought 24 units to this point. You know, I'm 21 years old. I want to be where you're at. Like, how'd you buy 3,000, 4,000 units free and clear and like own them on your own? And so he started off as a broker, I believe. And when he was like 28, he bought his, uh, he actually went right into building, I believe. And he built uh, Mm -hmm. one or two other complexes before this. And then he built this 96 unit. But I think over time, he he would shuffle his money from, brokering deals into these buildings, use investors, mm. but then he would buy out the investors over time. Mm. So nice. he eventually just owned it out, owned it outright. And then nice. he paid them off. Mm. Um, like so, that. you know, and I, I know a couple of people doing that same strategy right now that are, you know, in that, you know, end phase of their career and they're also killing it. So it seems to be the right way to do it. Yeah. Uh, That's awesome. So, so, so you, went, you went to him, he said, he, he was having this conversation with you. You found this deal you liked. And then, how did you how did you put this whole thing together? I know you brought someone else in to help you finance it. You said you didn't have the balance sheet to pull it off at that point by yourself. So how did you go about doing that? Yeah, so, you know, uh, ran the numbers, came up with a plan, how many units we want to renovate. This is what we want to do. We've got to replace, you know, three more of the roofs. We're going to do new siding on the property, do some work on the parking lot, the common areas, and then renovate the units, bump the rents. And so... Brought that plan to the other guy, uh, uh, the, the guy that helped sponsor the loan. Um, and uh, essentially, we said, hey, we got to go raise $1.7 million now to buy this thing. We're going to do a Freddie Mac small balance loan for 
3.4 million and the other 1.6, 1.7 was capital. So we were all in at about 5 million um, on the project. And so he invested a little bit and he brought a couple hundred thousand of his friends. And then I went to town raising the other 1.1, 1.2 million, um, which was probably the most difficult thing I had to do to date in business uh, was raising that money because I'd only raised like three, 400 grand before that for the other mm-hmm. two deals I did. And so uh, it was not easy. You know, I'd talk into a hundred people to get one yes. And so mm-hmm. it, was, it was a grind. And I ended up taking five months to close that deal because of the equity raise. And I, I would tell, you know, I'd get down to the end of due diligence and the money was going to go hard. And I was like, I, I would call the seller. And I'd be like, Hey, you know, I'd be honest with you. Like, I don't have all the money lined up, but I'm like, I'm, I'm almost there. Like, will you give me another 30 days? And he did. Fortunately. So yeah, he really, he worked with me a lot. Um, and so, uh, we got it lined up, you know, overcame some hurdles along the way, uh, but ended up buying it. And, uh, I ended up kind of house hacking that deal. Um, I I ended up living in a unit. I self-managed it. Somehow Freddie Mac let me self-manage it, (laughs) which is scary thinking back, but, uh, we did a really, we did a good job. (laughs) I had an onsite manager and maintenance person full time. So I just managed them. And then, uh, you know, Wow. They did, they did the day-to-day work. I don't think I've spoken with anyone yet who has like house hacked a building that size. I don't think I've <laughs> talked to anyone who's gone beyond like a four unit to do that. That's pretty awesome. Um, David, you mentioned raising money and this was obviously your, your third deal you said, and you said before that you had raised some money. So, I mean, tell us a little bit about how you were, were structuring some of this. It sounds like you were syndicating from early on or how, mm-hmm. how was the, the partnership or the syndication structured and kind of where did you, how'd you get all that going? Again, at the, at the young age, you figured it out quickly. Um, what'd you do to set that up? Yeah, just, just from researching, listening to podcasts, talking to other people that syndicate, it's like, there's some pretty common structures that people use and, uh, um, you know, really what dictates the structure uh, that you can use is the returns of the property. Um, I'll give you an example. So my first two deals I did, uh, the 12 unit properties, I uh, raised capital on an 80-20 split with an 8% preferred return. So first, you know, investors get 8%, anything over that, 80-20, I would get the 20. And then I split the 20 with the guy who signed on the loan. Um, this one I did an 8% preferred return, and then it was a 70-30 split. And so 15 of it went to the other guy. I got 15 and 30. And so uh, that's pretty much the financial structure we did. We did a 3% acquisition fee. So that was like 126,000. I split some of that with him. So that was like the first big check I ever got. <laughs> uh, I did a one, one and a half percent asset management fee. So that would come to me. And then I, I had a uh, 3%, three and a half percent property management fee that I got as well. So, cause I, cause I managed it. Um, so, uh, that was kind of the financial backend structure, like how you make money on a deal. A lot mm-hmm. of people are always curious, like, you know, how do you make money doing this stuff with no money right. in? And so I didn't put, I didn't put any money into that deal. I didn't have any money to put into that deal. Um, so it was all investors and I got my fees and then I got sweat equity for putting the time in. Yeah. And then obviously when you're raising money, depending on how you're doing it, you have to to be careful and make sure you're doing it the legal ways. Were you working with a lawyer to make sure you had that all set up or was it, it was all people you knew and had existing relationships with? How'd that work? Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I had 
worked with an attorney on the first two that I did that were syndications. They were, I mean, essentially like more like JV deals uh, than sure. syndications because I only had a couple investors on the first few. Uh, this one, we had like 26 investors, I believe. So I was working with a uh, you know, real estate law firm and they set up all the documents and everything. I read through every single word, you know, made edits where we needed to, made comments. And really, I think part of the reason that I tell a lot of people to uh, start small on when you try and get into this stuff is because, because I started small and did those 12 units, I got really hands-on with everything. And so from those first two deals, you know, reading through the PPM and operating agreements word by word, I really started to learn like how these things are structured, what should be in them, uh, stuff like that. And so that, you know, experience kind of just compounds over time, the more and more you do it. Uh, and, and that really gave me the ability to go to a guy that owned 3000 units and partner with him on that deal. Uh, because I had, you know, I had been very hands-on in the prior deals. That's awesome. So um, just to reiterate for those listening, you definitely need to make sure you're careful when you're going into any sort of partnership, but especially something that's a syndication and you're raising money and, and do what David did. And even early on as a young guy who had given up the six figure income to go after real estate, and I'm sure you had kind of a budget you were working with for those first couple of deals, you were still investing in um, legal professionals, making sure that you had your T's crossed and your I's dotted there. So yeah. good on you and, and everyone listening. <laughs> Heed that I, advice. I, I, I convinced them all to let me pay them at closing. <laughs> nice. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I love it. That's yeah. brilliant. <laughs> another, another tip for y'all, which is not awesome. easy to do, but uh, yeah. That's fantastic. So David, tell us just a little bit about how that, that deal ended up. You got the 96 units, you were self-managing, kind of what do you go in at? I assume you, um, did you have a refinance that came later? I assumed you increased the value quite a bit. Yeah. So uh, what ended up happening, it was a really, really phenomenal deal. We, uh, the rents on the one bedrooms were 650 on average when we bought it and twos were 750. Um, I was able to get the one bedroom rents up to 900. Uh, and the two bedrooms, I was, I was getting up to about 1100, some of them almost 1150. So we were doing, you know, three, almost $400 rent bumps on some of the units, uh, with less than $5,000 renovation. Um, it was just, you know, the guy had his nephew managing the property. The maintenance guy was a drunk and the manager was best friends with all the tenants. So it was a perfect <laughs> storm for me to come in and, and switch it up. Uh, plus, uh, when, when, one, one day, uh, one of the managers quit, I had the second manager I hired, she quit in the morning. Uh, she didn't give me two weeks notice. And mm. so I was, I was in there onsite managing leasing units for like two months till I found a replacement. So, oh, um, I got, I got some, I challenged myself every day. Like, uh, you know, how, how, how high can I push these rents? Uh, so <laughs> it was kind of fun actually, but, um, you know, we, we bought it for 40, 43 unit. Um, I sold it last summer. Uh, it was about what a 20 month, 18 or 20 month hold. I sold it for 71 a door. Uh, investors almost doubled their money. They got a 40 some percent IRR. Uh, and wow. we cash flowed almost, you know, between eight and 10% the whole way. So, uh, went, it went really well. And, That's awesome. and I, you know, and, and I got a nice little piece at the end too. So, I mean, phenomenally successful deal. So like, I wanted to ask you a couple questions. First of all, that first big check you got from that acquisition fee, what was that like? It was, it, it felt good. Uh, and honestly, 
Um, I didn't really take much of it myself. I put it in the business. There you go. But I ended up wasting a lot of it because at the time I had, I had an office, I had a lease and I had an uh, assistant that I was paying like a full-time assistant. Mm. And so over the course, like six, eight months, you know, this is me being early in business, not realizing like, you know, income, overhead, all that stuff. And I ended up burning a lot of it. Yeah. Which was okay. And, and you know, I learned from it, but it, it felt really good. Getting yeah. It. I mean, it was like, <laughs> like, hell yeah. You know, it's a, it's a great feeling. You're riding home and you're looking at this massive check and you're like, like what? this is more money than I was making for a year's worth of work at yeah. my prior jobs, you exactly. know, or maybe even twice as much. It's, it's crazy it's when you start leveling up your thinking and taking the ceiling off of what's possible, yeah. what will start happening with your income. It, it is crazy. I mean, it's, it's literally, I mean, you want to talk about mindset, man. It's, it's all mindset. I wouldn't be here today uh, if I didn't read like Grant, you guys ever read the 10X rule? Yeah, absolutely. So this was before I started, I was still in, in those internships uh, in 2016. I, after listening to Bigger Pockets and reading some books, I had been writing down my goals every day. You know, a lot of people they tell you, write down your goals every day. So I was doing that. Um, I read the 10X rule. Before I read the 10X rule, I was writing down that I wanted 10 single family rentals <laughs> by the time I was 25. That was my big goal. Um, and so, uh, I'd write that down every single day. And then I read the 10 X rule and he's like, all you got to do is just change your mindset, mm -hmm. start writing down bigger goals and it'll happen if you, and your actions start mapping to that. So I wrote down the first time I wrote it down is like May of 2016. Uh, before I even got into real estate, I wrote, I want 500 apartments within three years. Oh, um, uh, two years, 11 months later, in April of 2019, I closed on a deal that put me up to 520 apartments. I was moving out of this 96 unit. And in the closet, I found, uh, when I was moving to Texas, and I found uh, that notebook. And I read that, and it gave me chills. That was, it was awesome. Like, you know, two months after that, I was like, wow, if I didn't change my goal, I would still be shooting for 10 single-family rentals. Yeah. I, literally just a mindset change. I, I remember... I remember when I did the exact same thing, like I was doing the exact same thing you were. I was saying, I want to have 10 paid for rentals worth this. And I read the 10X rule and I was like, whoa, do I need a hundred rentals? I was like a hundred yeah, houses. Man. And I was like, wait a minute, why not? Why not just do multifamily, you know? And because here, you change your mindset, are. it led you to exactly. multifamily because you can't, you're not going to go buy a hundred single family rentals. You might no. as well just buy apartments. So now yeah. at that point forever, your mindset's changed. I'm not buying single family anymore. And you're already, exactly. on, you already set yourself on a new path. You already exactly. And, your, and your I know there are some people who do buy a hundred houses and Hey, good for them. For me, I was like, I knew the inertia it took to get one property, you know, mm -hmm. and it, it takes so much just from one deal oh and that thing goes vacant. It's 100% vacant. The diversification of risk you get with buying multi-units under one roof is what I love about this. And then people say, well, multifamily is overheated. It's everybody, you know, it's it's a feeding frenzy, all this. And I'm like, that's why I want to own it. It's been wanna, overheated for decades. I want to own it. Because, yeah, yeah, I want to own it because everybody wants to own it. Exactly. Like you can sell that anytime you want to sell it. People are fighting yep. to buy it from you. So literally to me, it's about like, you know, the, the book, The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Mm -hmm. To me, the obstacle is the fact that everybody everybody wants to own this stuff, and it's really hard to find deals. That's not that's not necessarily the reason to not do it. You still have to do you you can still do it and do it right, like you've done it. You can still find deals. Once you've got the deals, people are standing in line to buy it from you. So get your NOI raised, raise your rents, 
decrease People operating are standing expenses. in line yeah while while i'm even still in line trying to buy deals exactly. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm wholesaling some big deals right now really uh, that's crazy because of that because yep. the market's still so it's stupid dude I'm yeah it's really crazy <laughs> yeah that's um, wild so y- you said you bumped rents pretty aggressively at this project and mm-hmm. That's something that, you know, when I'm modeling out deals that we always struggle a little bit with is understanding how aggressive can we get time-wise and how quickly we can get these rents raised. Like we know that we have this gap between what it's currently being rented for and what it can be rented for. How quickly can we get that, those rents raised if the thing's like, let's say 85% occupied, right? You can obviously raise it on the vacant units once they're rehabbed, but the with the, with a tenant in place, let's say their rent is, uh, what, I think in your situation you said it was seven hundred, and you could get it to nine hundred. Did you just go from seven hundred to nine hundred, or did you step it up, or how did you do that? Well, at first going into the deal, my my expectations were only like a hundred dollar rent bump based on comps and stuff. And that area ended up improving a little bit, and I think that whole like suburban landscape rents kind of went up quite a bit over the last couple of years there in, in the suburbs of Michigan. Um, and so, you know, going into it, the one bedrooms that were 650, I was only planning on getting them with a $5,000 renovation up to like 775, 800. It wasn't till, you know, six to nine months in that I realized that I could actually hit 900, 925 with the renovation. So it took a little bit of time and actually getting into it and just experimenting and trying to push the bar a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same for the two bedrooms, like it was just, little bit of an experimentation, you know, what, what, what can I do if I don't renovate a unit? I was getting 150 bucks without even touching the unit, just mm. paint carpet. And so, you know, for a lot of those, you know, I got half the units, I got up over a hundred dollars more, uh, without doing anything. And the rest, you know, I was getting $300 with a renovation. Mm. So. That's awesome. And yeah, I guess, tell us a little bit about we were talking a little bit about scale, scaling and, and thinking big. And so I kind of want to shift a little bit from this deal into overall. Obviously, part of thinking big is not just thinking I'm going to buy, you know, 500 units instead of 10 houses, but it's also thinking about how you structure the world around you to make that happen. So maybe tell us a little bit about how you kind of got um, into your, your current situation, your partnership, how you've built your company. I know there've got to be a lot of key players that you had to find and relationships you had to build to make that happen. Yeah. So right when I was uh, closing on the, those first two 12 unit buildings in 2017, I was uh, Rod, you know, Rod Cleef mm-hmm. uh, out of Florida. He has um, a big platform. He actually had me on his podcast and we became good friends and he invited me to down to Florida uh, uh, and said he was hosting a mastermind. And so um, I was like, dude, I can't really afford that. Um, <laughs> but uh, he's like, you need to join this. And so I ended up paying for it on a credit card when I really couldn't afford it. I ended up closing <laughs> on my first deal and paying paying it back, you know, luckily a month or two later. Uh, but I joined that uh, because I wanted to get around people that were more successful than me. And so I was the smallest and youngest owner in the group by far. Um, but I met some pretty incredible people. One of them is my business partner, business partner today, his name's Glenn Gonzalez. And so he was the most experienced and uh, largest owner in the group. He owned about 4,500 apartments. And uh, down here in Texas, he's lived in Austin, still lives in Austin. And uh, we met there, we got along really well. We went to, you know, one or two more mastermind uh, meetings. And 
at that point, I had a network of probably four to five really close sponsors that I knew if I found a deal, you know, in certain markets that they would partner with me and sign on debt and raise capital with me together and stuff like that. And so, um, but I'd been thinking for a while, really the one part of the equation I'm missing is I don't have the net worth liquidity to get these, you know, three, four, five, $10 million plus loans at the time. And so uh, it's, it, for me, it was like, I could either do one-off partnerships with people or I could maybe find someone and start a business with them and we can gain some real momentum. And, and that's, that's really what I wanted to do. So Glenn and I had talked about that. Um, he had sold off most of his portfolio at that point. He'd done very well. The market improved. And so he'd sold about 4,000 units uh, the past couple of years. And, um, you know, we talked, he had, he found a deal down in uh, South of Houston and he's like, can you underwrite this deal for me? Um, I, I want to kind of want to buy it. And so, I ran the numbers. Uh, he ended up, you know, using my numbers, talked to the broker, negotiated a deal. Uh, they had an LOI agreed upon. And he said, um, you know, why don't I, I think he, he flew me out to Orlando to go to a conference at that point. Cause we had, he had kind of talked with his wife a little bit. He's like, well, I kind of like this David guy. He's young. Maybe he can he'd be my retirement plan a little bit type of thing. <laughs> uh, Cause he's, you know, he's 52 years old. Um, and so, basically, uh, we talked there, he tried to hire me. So he's like, well, how about I pay you like a fee and you help <laughs> me manage the transaction. And like, uh, you know, um, you know, I'll pay you a little part of the fee acquisition fee or something like that. And I'm like, with all due respect, if I'm going to do this deal with you, I'm going to be your business partner. Um, and he liked that. And so, um, I ended up investing, you know, like $10,000 into the deal at that point. It wasn't a lot, but I invested like you know, what I had this two years ago. Um, and so, uh, you know, he, he really liked, uh, you know, that I was willing to sign on the, the debt right away. But really what gave me leverage to say that to someone like him was the fact that I had done it before and I had the experience from doing a prior couple deals, right? I started smaller, gave me leverage to get into a partnership like that. And so the deal went really well. We sold it within six months, made almost a million dollars and started, kicked off the company. I moved down to Austin right away. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and uh, you know, we've been rock and rolling ever since. That's amazing. And I like that you, you knew what you were worth. You knew kind of what your value was and it wasn't coming from a, a place of hubris or, or anything like that, but you had done work. You were the type of person who did your due diligence before you went out and started networking. And then you were taking action, even as a young guy, maybe without, you know, a ton of resources to start. And it didn't take you that long to build to a point where you could look at a guy who's been doing this for several years and has owned thousands of units and say, no, I don't want you to hire me. I want to be your business partner. Yeah. I think that's just huge. And I want to take a moment to reflect on that because it's probably something that all of us, especially those who are really looking to scale up, need to to be ready to stand up for yourself in that way or to um Yeah, no, you gotta know your value. Yourself, right. And, and, yeah. and the way and he'll tell that story and he'll be like, dude, David walks circles around me closing that deal. Like I, like everything that was on point, we closed on time, the equity got lined up, like it was great, you know. So it went it went really, really well and we worked very well together, great synergy. He's a cool guy, a lot of fun. We we like going out and shooting guns and 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 you know and and we do like, go boating together, go you know, wakeboarding. So he, you know he's a fun guy too. We have we have we have a lot of uh, good times together. So I think that's, that's awesome. all important too. Outside that's of just fantastic. business. And I guess that um, 
that makes me curious to just hear a little bit more about from then you said that was about two years ago to now kind of what's been, I guess, the the quick snapshot of what's happened and how you've grown in those couple of years. Yeah. So it's really weird because you go from a place where like when I did that deal, that was 156 units, you know, at that point I'd bought 200 and some units. Uh, but I didn't really have like a lot, you know, I didn't feel like I was very successful at that point still because, you know, I'd gotten some of those acquisition fees. Uh, I ended up spending a lot of it on overhead on the business. And so it's like, uh, I, you know, I didn't really, because a lot of my equity was tied up in the properties. So really it wasn't until I sold that 96 unit last summer that things really, that was kind of like, I think a life-changing moment when you get your first check that's several hundred thousand dollars. It's like, okay, wow, like now this is real. Like I put in two and a half years of hard work making a fifth of what I would have made if I took a full-time job. You know, I made less than like $20,000 my first year in real estate. I probably made like $40,000 my second year, right? And so, and then it's just like, exponential growth is what is what I did. And that was my goal was, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to play a long-term game. I'm going to hustle. I bought my first 120 apartments out of a bedroom in my parents' house, living off of under $1,000 a month uh, for two years. And then, uh, you know, and then you really start to see the benefit of putting in that effort and working 100 hours a week for that long. Like, uh, so, th- so that was really cool last summer. And since then, um, I bought a couple more uh, apartment complexes. I bought a piece of land down here in Austin. Um, you know, we're developing 50 units on it. We're uh, in the planning phases of a, a 10 acre, 150 unit development. Um, it's kind of in the outskirts of Austin, Texas, a really high growth area, uh, not as high density. Um, but uh, so that's a really good project. So we're starting to do some more new development. Uh, was uh, closing on a couple deals right now. We've got 400 units under contract. Uh, which some of them were actually wholesaling off and some of them were buying. So uh, portfolio. Um, and uh, I started a software company uh, based around multifamily acquisitions and analysis. So that's really another one of my main focuses right now. That's awesome. And I know Josiah mentioned that briefly at the beginning. Maybe let's take a moment to, to hear a little bit about that because that's slightly different from the rest of what we've been talking about, but uh, very related to real estate and probably interesting to many of our listeners. Yeah. So uh, basically I built this spreadsheet coming out of college. You know, I was working in investment banking internship and you're going 80 hours a week in Excel. So you get really good at Excel real quick. And I kind of liked it. So when I started analyzing multifamily deals, I built out a little spreadsheet and it just kind of grew and evolved over time and um, really got to a point where a year and a half ago, uh, people started seeing it and asking if they could buy it from me. And I was like, well, sure, I guess so. And so, you know, somebody pay me 250 bucks for a spreadsheet. I was like, all right. So I put on my website, I ended up selling almost six figures of that spreadsheet in the last year and a half, uh, just through word of mouth. You know, pod, people hear about it on podcasts like this and um, online and uh, they tell each other about it. So I've sold a lot of those and I have a free one that thousands of people have downloaded now. And so uh, what I decided when that started selling was like, one day I'm going to make this into a software, a web-based software app because um, it's really, Excel is really not the best solution. It's, it's, uh, clunky. It could be, it can be full of errors. I have seen people lose. I saw a guy last year, lose was $150,000, a friend, uh, in earnest money because they had an underwriter that they trusted 
And he underwrote a deal with an error in the spreadsheet. And what they thought was an 18 IRR over a five-year hold, with, when I corrected the error, it was actually like a 12. And they couldn't renegotiate the deal. It fell mm. apart. They lost 150 grand. Insane. I mean, that's a lot of money. Yeah. And so, and so, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I basically thought, you know, think that uh, software is really the next step. It's very real estate, still a very old school game, right? Especially a lot of the old money, private equity. Uh, they all use Excel. I mean, ninety nine percent of people on this use Excel, right? I'm sure you guys do for multifamily as well. Mm-hmm. So, what the software is going to do is is replace that. Uh, it's going to be a full acquisitions uh, platform. So start to finish from finding the deals, uh, tracking, you know, the deals you're looking at, uh, underwriting them, sending offers, it'll do all that. So uh, basically you work off of like a map where when you add a property, you've got a pin for the properties you're looking at. So you kind of start building a database of all these deals you're looking at and analyzing in different markets. Uh, and you open it up and you can uh, go into analyze it and you can upload a uh, multifamily, the financial statements, you know, the T12, which is a 12 month financial statement and a rent roll, which is all the units at the property and what the rents are. You upload those, the software is going to read it, whether it's PDF or Excel, it'll pull out the unit mix automatically. It'll pull out the effective rents. It'll pull out the totals for your operating expenses. It'll put that all into the analyzer for you. So what normally takes us 15 to 20 minutes reading through those, it'll do that. It'll also tell you if we detect that repairs and maintenance is abnormally low or high based on market averages, or if your water sewer costs are 900 a unit, where really on average, they should be between 500 to 650 a unit, uh, for example. And so it'll identify a lot of um, analytics and insights for you. uh, And then you make some assumptions uh, on what your rents going forward are, what type of renovations all within the software. You make some inputs and it'll kick out what your returns are in real time. You can generate reports. You can send custom LOIs through it. Uh, and so you can share the deal with other people so they can look at it and view only. So it's, it's going to be the full acquisitions uh, suite for multifamily investors. Sweet. When are you uh, anticipating that being out? We're going to be launching end of Q1 2021. Okay. So we got another, uh, what is that, eight months or so. Okay, cool. So, you know, this is going to, this episode is going to be released before that's out, but you know how it is. People go back and listen to these episodes years after they come out. So where can people connect with you, find out about this software, also find your Excel spreadsheet if they want to buy that? Yeah. So the software company is called Real Estate Lab. So when you're, you know, just look up Real Estate Lab uh, time and you should be able to find it. Look me up on Instagram. Uh, Real Estate Jedi is my handle. Uh, check me out on Facebook, David Tupin. Uh, or my website is obsidiancapitalco.com. Very cool. Very cool. Before we um, wrap up, I wanted to revisit something you said and and get some information from you on this because I'm always, uh, just to kind of steal from um, uh, some of these podcasters who focus on high performers uh, like Tim Ferriss, okay, to kind of steal some strategy from Tim Ferriss here. I'm very interested in people who are out outshining their peers in their their demographic, if you will. So you're in your 20s. You've got more multifamily units than a lot of people who are in their you know 50s and 60s. You're doing something right. You mentioned mindset. Like I'm curious what advice you would give to people. There's a lot. I mean, I've talked to a ton of people who want to own multifamily. They don't seem to really do anything. So 
what's the what's the chasm there, the gap that they need to span with with their mindset to get from A to B and to start making this stuff happen? Yeah, so I think a lot of people buy into, you know, the hype. And so it really depends on where your goals are at. Do you want to, you know, I want to run a multi-billion dollar company one day. So if I want to do that and I'm serious and what I say is what I actually want to do, uh, my actions have to map to that. And so I work a lot. I put in a lot of time. I spend a lot of time refining my craft and meeting new people. And I'm always leveling up what I do and trying to improve. Um, if you want to buy a hundred apartments in your lifetime, I think, you know, you have a little bit more freedom to take a little bit more time to maybe educate yourself up front. Maybe you want to do it just in your backyard and your hometown. So you could easily manage it from there. Uh, and you could, you know, maybe take a little bit more time and you don't have to go so crazy, you know, 110 miles an hour at it. So I think it really depends where you're at. Uh, but, but you know, when I hear people say they really want to buy multifamily, like, oh, it's this huge goal of mine. I want to do it. Uh, I've been, you know, I've been going to seminars. I've been reading books. It's like, well, why, why haven't you done it yet? How many deals have you looked at? How many brokers have you talked to? You have any investors lined up? Uh, you know, have you made any offers? And if the answer to a lot of those are no, or I haven't done it, uh, to me, either they really don't want it that bad or they've got some kind of mental block they need to get over to hit that next step. And um, there are a lot of people, there's going to be a large group of people that um, really, you know, they, they're going to talk about it forever and they're never going to do it. And that's just, you know, that's a fact of, a fact of life, right? We can yeah. dance around it and say, hey, everybody's got it in them. Uh, I don't necessarily think that's the case uh, for everybody. Um, now, most people that really want to do it, I really do. And I think they just need to make a little bit of, of a change in expectations um, because I think everything in life is ex- expectations versus reality. If you expect this to happen overnight, good luck. It's not going to happen overnight. <laughs> if you expect to buy your first deal in the next two, three, four weeks, it's not going to happen. You should in your head expect to spend six months looking for 20 to 30 hours a week. If you want to buy hundred plus unit, especially I'm talking about, if you want to buy smaller stuff, maybe cut this in half. But if you want to you know, really go at this and buy a big apartment complex and do what I do, expect to spend 20 to 30 hours a week, specifically looking for deals and looking at deals and underwriting deals, making offers uh, for six months straight and, and see what kind of progress you make. You may get your first deal on a contract. You may not, but you may get very close track how many offers you're making. I track every single deal. We, we looked at 450 deals last year. I underwrote just under 200. I made 125 offers and I bought three properties. Wow. That's just three properties. I mean, yeah. we're conservative, but those are our numbers. So yeah. uh, you want to you wanna go in and do this, like treat, treat it like a business. Don't treat it like a hobby. And yeah, uh, you'll be far more successful. It's so interesting because I had the exact same experience um, on the one to four family side, right? Like I would, you know, we, we got about 20 doors, 20 different deals in about 12 months, all using, you know, value add strategy, buy them, buy them distressed, fix them up, get them refinanced, get our money back. But we were using private money and hard money and people were asking me, well, how, how are you doing so many so fast? And I was like, well, I'm looking at five deals a day. 
You're you focused, know, man. Yeah, five to ten deals a day. Some days I make no offers. Some days I make five offers. But yeah, you know, the goal is to if you're you know if you want ten deals in a month and you're you're looking at one deal a day, it's not going to happen for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you want to buy a hundred unit apartment complex and you're not making any offers. It's not going to happen for you. How in the yeah. world are you going to buy something without <laughs> making offers or doing that? You know, putting in LOIs or so. Like it's it's good to hear the it's good to hear the data that you're giving us on how hard you have to work to get these because that makes me feel good because I'm working very hard at finding deals and I'm analyzing a lot of deals, putting in offers, and I don't have one yet. Mm-hmm. But I think that's just part of the process, right? So, um, and would you say it was harder to get your first deal done? Or I think I don't think it was so. This is this is another thing I tell a lot of people. I kind of mentioned earlier start start a little bit smaller, right? Because a lot of people want to get into that hundred plus unit space, and um, there's no doubt about it. It's not it's not easy to get into that competitive market, right? Especially if you don't have the relationships. A lot of deals we get are based off relationships and brokers and whatnot, off market deals. So I tell people start in your backyard and start smaller. I wouldn't have had the leverage to get into my current partnership. I wouldn't have had the leverage to get that sponsor on board for that first 100-unit deal if I hadn't first started with a 12-unit property. And no, I didn't have huge acquisition fees. Actually, I'm one of the two. I didn't even have any because I didn't raise enough money for renovations and I had to put it back (laughs) into the property. But um, uh, if I didn't do those, I would not have the leverage or experience to get into the bigger deals. And so uh, it is, you know, plus... On a 12-unit property, if your numbers aren't perfect, you can most of the time make it work, right? I didn't pay the best price. I didn't get a it's insane return. I think I hit like a mid-teen, a 14, 15 IRR when I sold those deals. And we cash flowed like 8, 9% on those. Uh, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't crazy. One of them, uh, one of them was in bad shape, repairs and maintenance, uh, deferred maintenance ate up most of the cash flow. So I was in painting units just so that we can hit our investor 8%. And so, um, you know, on, on smaller properties, you could do stuff like that to make it work. And so even though I didn't pay the best price for those first two deals and I didn't get insane returns, I got investors good returns, but I got a deal done, right? And they were, sure. they were average. They weren't amazing, but they're average deals. And so a lot of people are looking for grand slams on their first deal. And, you know, maybe, maybe you just got to take, you got to take, get that first deal done and take a little less equity do a do a 80 20 or 90 10 split with your investors and uh, maybe you self manage it and charge 5% instead of the market rate of 10% which is what I did so you know I, I just had to get those first two deals done I love that I think that's key it's like there's something about mindset that's very motivating by making some progress on something yeah like instead of waiting to get a you know 150 unit deal that's got you know a 20% IRR on your first deal and it taking you five years to get something, be far better off to go buy a 10 unit deal, fail, figure out what you did wrong, learn, go get another one, go get another one. And then, you know, you turn around and three years in, you've got 900 units or whatever it is, you know, and it's like, everybody's story is different. Everybody's got different things that happen, different variables, but it's, it, I, I notice a common thread with a lot of people that are doing this, that that's been the path they've taken. They don't start off with huge deals. You know Correct. what I mean? So, and you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to go big at first, sure, and, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to do a big deal. Uh, but what I see a lot of people doing now is just either, you know, just raising some money to bring to a deal, which first of all is not legal according to the SEC. You have to be doing substantially more than just raising capital. 
to to uh, co-sponsor, uh, you know, a, a, a syndication. Um, and so, uh, I, I, I think it's best to start small, get a bigger chunk of the equity, which is what I've always done. You know, a lot of people say like, well, do you own 1% of all those deals? No, I own pretty large portions of all those deals, which is because I started small and because yeah. I put myself in a position to be that primary sponsor. I've never co-GP'd with anyone either. It's always been my own deal or me and my business partner. Um, and so I, you know, if I tried to get into a hundred unit deal first, I would have sat back uh, back seat, which like I said, there's nothing wrong with this, but I, I would have sat back seat to a larger sponsor and got a very small piece of deal. And I wouldn't have learned nearly as much, even though it's a bigger deal because they would have been doing probably all the work, right? Instead of yeah. me, I did everything. I, yeah. I practically wrote the PPM with the attorney. Yeah, I, mean, I love that. I, I read every every word of the loan docs. From I love that. It's like and 200 then, pages. And that's the harder, that's the harder path, but the path yeah. that's going to take you where you want to be because you're correct. You're putting the time in, you're learning it. And once you've got that, nobody can take it away from you. Correct. So sometimes you have to just pull the trigger. If you find it, exactly. you know, find go find a small, my advice, go find a small deal, 20 to 50 units over a million dollar loan amount. Just do something with over a million dollar loan. Cause then you get a Freddie Mac, small balance. Don't do something with a crazy rehab. Find something that's, you know, 90% plus occupied, make an offer. You don't need the best grand slam out there. Give your investors a bigger cut of the, the pie. You'll hit their returns uh, and, and sacrifice a little bit on your fees. Get your first deal done, learn. Now you have the leverage to go do a hundred plus unit property. I love it. I love it. And you well, can hey, do that as we six ra- months. Yeah, I think that's incredible advice. I hope everyone tuning in follows your advice there because I think it'll lead them to good places. So as we wrap up, I uh, wanted to ask you this question. If I were to hand you a $10 million check, but you could never touch real estate again, would you do it? Would you take it? And, no, and, and, yeah. not even a second. <laughs> not even close. I knew the answer to that before I even yeah. asked you, but I'm asking all of my guests this. It's going to guess vary on what you currently own, but sure. um, I'm interested in this because you know I think you do this for two different reasons. Some people just do it for the money, and then some people do it because they really like it. You know, and there's a maybe a combination in there. Of I do course, it for both. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I've had some people say, "Yeah, I would, I would take the money and run." And then I've had other people say, "Not in a million years." You know what I mean? Sure. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm always interested in that. So why would you not take that and make that deal? Not on my worst day would I take that because I'm going to make that much <laughs> in the next two years. There and we so, go. I love it. Oh, so it won't, it won't, it won't. You know what I what what I think is. Uh, really important too is loving what you do and having passion for it. And I love what I do. Yeah. It's not a job. I don't, I don't wake up in the morning and meditate. I, you know, honestly, I, I, I haven't really, I've read maybe, I've started reading books again more because uh, of my software company and I really want to evolve in that way. But I, I used to read a ton of books. I haven't really read a, more than two books in the last two years and my business has uh, 10x um, or more. And so it's because I'm a practitioner. I, I, I think of myself kind of like Gary Vee. I just work, man. I love it. I work 80 hours a week, every week. And I love it. I love it. Every second of it. Yeah. So, I love it, man. I love it. Well, dude, this has been awesome. We could, we could talk for hours. We'll definitely have you back. Um, we'd love to have you back. You got to keep us updated on your software and what's going on with that. And uh, thanks so much for sharing your story and um, look forward to tracking with your success going forward. And let me know if next time you guys get one, you want to wholesale, reach out because I'm I'm looking for stuff. So heck yeah. Sounds great, man. Thanks for that. Oh, Thanks, Megan. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, David. Catch you later, Thanks. David. 
Thanks for tuning in to Multifamily Mavericks. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave us a rating and review, and share it with your friends. It helps us grow, which helps us find great guests, which in turn helps you grow. And don't forget to connect with us on LinkedIn or on Instagram at Multifamily Mavericks, at Daily Real Estate Investor, at Part-Time Empire. Join us next time to keep learning the multifamily game and scale up.